Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Fund for July 22nd, 2018. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome to Shiflet. Good evening, sir. All right, and um, tonight here in about 20 minutes, we're going to do a little Georgia a political preview with a Republican analyst who's on um, WXI, the NBC affiliate, uh, doing election coverage, Mike Hassinger. Mike's been with us before. But given that um, there are so many races and most of them on the Republican side, including, I guess, the main event, Casey Cagle and um, Brian Kemp, the three of us will be picking up a ballot in that race. So it seems like we ought to talk to somebody who is – and get his perspective. But until then, um, there was something we had previewed last week, and I think we thought it would be noteworthy this week, but we had no clue how much there would be after Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin met in Helsinki. I guess it was Monday. I mean, it was first thing of the week, and then the fallout lasted most of the rest of the week. Um, Just pretty jaw-dropping what happened. Um, Catherine, what are some of the aspects of it that kind of shocked you the most? The most shocking thing was the private meeting between uh, President Trump and Vladimir Putin uh, with only translators who are not uh, obligated to um, reveal the, you know, content of the of the discussion. So I, I think that. Every, I think everyone was kind of shocked by that. Um, it's very unusual for a, um, for two world leaders to, to speak in private for, I think it was about 90 minutes, um, without any report on what the discussion was. So I found that pretty shocking. I mean, once he got home and sort of rolled back some of the things that he said, that was uh, surprising uh, considering um, President Trump's uh, uh, usual inability to apologize for anything, but um, but I think that private meeting was the most disturbing and shocking thing to me for me. Well, well, Tim, I tell you what, the most shocking thing to me now is that Catherine actually gave Donald Trump a compliment, saying that he could actually focus on something for ninety minutes. Um, that might be a new record for Donald Trump. Um, but no, seriously, I, I do want to get, and I, you can kind of give your broad view, but Catherine did bring up the interpreters. I saw where the Democrats uh, in the House wanted to see if the interpreter could be subpoenaed, and the Republicans shut that down real quickly. Even though so many of them condemned what happened, they wouldn't actually let the interpreter be subpoenaed. No, um, you know, I was kind of torn about that. Those interpreters have to be people of discretion. I mean, they go in there to do a job, 
And, you know, we, we, we've had that sort of scenario before where presidents and their interpreters would meet with another leader and their interpreter. And, you know, it goes without saying that they're to be quiet. And so that part of it I'm torn about. But on the other hand, it would be interesting to know what what went on in that room, especially considering what we saw on television. I don't think it would have been such a big story if we hadn't have seen uh, what we saw on television. Right, David? Yes, I mean, all the praise in the press conference. When we saw... Yeah, the press conference where the fireworks... Yeah. Yeah. Um, And after that, I mean, he, he just basically said that he trusted... Um, US, um, um, Russian intelligence yeah. um, over U.S. intelligence, which was quite shocking from the leader of the yeah. American forces. And then well, uh, apparently at some point he agreed. He didn't say Russian. Oh, wait a second, David. He didn't say he trusted he, Russian intelligence, I don't think. He said he trusted Vladimir Putin. Putin. Right. Well, who used to be in the That's KGB, so I guess I was right, right. extrapolating but, I mean, back. He wasn't talking about yeah, current Russian intelligence. I don't think. You know, he was guys, talking, he said, you what, me, I might trust random guy in the KGB more than I do Vladimir Putin because I don't trust Vladimir Putin. Right. I'm, not, I'm not saying um, that he's right or wrong, but let's just try to be clear about what yeah. he said. Oh, I will. Because I, I don't think he's yeah. off Russian intelligence. Yeah. You, you and know, and guys, then he kind of went going. further saying that he wouldn't mind if they interviewed American yeah. citizens about this, a foreign entity's intelligence having American permission to interview American citizens was, uh, you know, quite different than what we're used to, we'll say. Tim? Well, that got shut down. Well, I was, was going to say, once again, we, we come around to scratching our head about Trump just fawning uh, over Putin while he's, while he's Screaming bloody murder at pretty much everyone else on the planet. He gets to this guy, and he just literally stumbles all over himself in some sort of bromance right right there on television. And I just don't get it. What is it that he just loves about this guy? I mean, it's it's beyond Putin having something on him uh, or something, which he might. But but he genuinely seems to just be enamored with Vladimir Putin like he wants to be him when he grows up or something. I, I just don't get it. How could Trump think that this would look good? He was so naive that he left that stage thinking, man, I knocked it out of the park. And he was an hour into his flight home before he realized that everyone – in both parties and every major network was panning what had happened. He he didn't even realize it. How could he be that naive? Yeah, there's obviously a huge blind spot um, because even world leaders like Kim Jong-un, uh, the guy from the Philippines whose name escapes me, um, the, the premier of uh, China, their leader um, – he did, probably didn't know that much about them, uh, and he kind of likes their style. But he came into this thing feeling this way about Putin, which is just a different dynamic. 
and I mean, who knows if something's there or not? We just don't know yet, or maybe we'll never know. Um, but he treats him in such a different way, irregardless of how everybody else feels. And Tim, you mentioned some of the networks and the Republican politicians. Um, Catherine, did you see where it was like Dan Coats, John McCain, Newt Gingrich all criticized him? Even Fox and Friends uh, criticized mm-hmm. Donald Trump's uh, reaction during the press conference and what he had to say. Yet when they polled voters, I saw somewhere between 60 and 75 percent of Republican voters approved of Donald Trump's performance in Helsinki. Um, why are some of the leaders out in the Republican Party feeling so differently than the rank-and-file voter? Well, because the, the, um, our elected officials have more um, – a better understanding of um, you know, global diplomacy. They may not be very good at it, but they have a better understanding of it. I don't think um, you know, our ordinary citizens who get um, polls really understand – um, the impact that um, statements like that can make, uh, you know, sort of the uh, the impact that it can make around the world. Even I don't understand all of it. Um, so I think that's um, part of the reason that, I mean, I think people like that he stands up to, to, the, to that he goes and does things that other presidents haven't done. You know, I'm the only one who did it. You know, I'm the, I'm the best you know, what did he say this week? I'm the best international negotiator we've ever had as a president or something. Oh. You know, he says some crazy <laughs> ass thing. Excuse me, pardon me. Um as far well, as why you know. he, as far as why he has this um you know bromance or whatever you want to call it with Putin, I think it has a lot I, I mean, I don't know, but I suspect it has a lot to do with his business dealings over the years prior to being uh, elected president. I think, you know, he's dealt with Russians. They've bailed him out of um, some financial situations. Either he um, is uh, uh, concerned about um, any um, for those, or he uh, dealt with them before and he's afraid of how they might um, treat him. So he, uh, that that's my sense. I I don't know. Obviously, I don't know. Well, Kat, Catherine, a few things. I think you do know more than Steve Ducey and Brian Killamy. I know that's a low bar, but I, I have no doubt that that you know more than those two. <laughs> well, I hope you. the average American knows more than those two. Um, talking about people, I mean, obviously, I would say the average American doesn't know more than Newt Gingrich. He's put a lot of study into this. Even if we disagree with him politically, he is. You know, learned. He was a college professor, and he spends a lot of time with this. Yeah. Well. Um, so that's kind of a different situation. But I, I just was kind of shocked that the Republican voter um, was so overwhelmingly um, with Trump on this because it seems like this might have been one of those kind of things. I mean, remember the mission accomplished and how even Republican voters knew that George W. Bush had gone too far, too fast, or what have you, and even he didn't get this kind of support. What is it different about Donald Trump, Tim? You know, I I, I wish I could explain that. (laughs) We watched our president throw our government under the bus. Never, never would I have ever dreamed 
that I would have seen an American president stand up on foreign soil and take the explanation of a dictator over that of his own Department of Justice and his Congress. Never did I think I would see such a thing. Um, That's why the fallout was so major. Uh, it's, It's even reported, guys, that the morale inside the White House is just Totally tanked now. Uh, you mentioned Dan Coates earlier. You, you know, he was being interviewed by Andrea mm. Mitchell at a forum <laughs> in Colorado when he was informed that Trump had invited Putin over here for a summit, and he had no advance warning of it. None. The U.S. Joke. intelligence director, and he did it. Trump hadn't even mentioned it to him. I mean, what a chaotic, totally inept White House. And still, you know, Trump's just taken that party over. Now, he moved to do it, and he has done it, and and they just love him. Uh, I guess it's that in-your-face stuff until it comes to Putin. There's where it don't make sense. If they love the in-your-face Well, that's about what as far opposite of it as you can get and still be on this planet, right? Yeah, it's just kind of surprising. Even on this, even on this, I saw so many GOP leaders that have been so long respected uh, called him out, and and then still uh, some of your Republican voters supported what Donald Trump said, even though he had to walk part of it back. Uh, the next day, uh, we got a we got. I believe our guest might be a little early, but early is always fine. Um, I want to see if this is Mike Hassinger on the line. Welcome, Mike. Yes, it's Mike Hassinger on the line. Excellent. Didn't know your number by heart, so I had to uh, just guess. Well, Mike, we had to, we had John to talk about the um, GOP governor's race and other races coming up, but since we're talking about it, you're Republican, we're not. Uh, we know many of your leaders, uh, Newt Gingrich, Dan Coates, John McCain, all disagreed with how uh, the press conference in particular went down with uh, Vladimir Putin. You as a Republican, how did you view that um, event? That was probably the most painful day as a Republican <laughs> I've ever had in my life. I come up from <laughs> – a rather old school, not the oldest of old schools, but um, an old school where uh, Russia was called the Soviet Union, and they were the bad guys. They were – my reason I'm a Republican is because my hero called them the evil empire. And there was a period of detente, and there was a period of glasnost, and there was a period of the wall coming down, and nobody knew what was going on, and the Russia – has been reconstituted, if you will, as a uh, an oligarchy run by oligarchs. I mean, they literally called them that. And, and the state-run industries have been taken over by people who are now billionaires. They're gangsters and they're thugs and they're not to be trusted. And the, the, the worst part for me was um, watching Trump be so obsequious and so fawning over Vladimir Putin. Now, he's not the first American president, I believe, to get Vladimir Putin wrong. Uh, Bush 
said he could trust him because he looked into his eyes and saw his soul. That was George H.W. Bush. Um, Obama had tried the warm relations. Uh, Hillary Clinton, when she was Secretary of State, tried to reset. I mean, everybody's tried to come to some sort of agreement, working relationship with Russia, and yet they annex the Crimea. They foment resolution in Ukraine. They commit human rights violations. Um, they're one of the worst on the planet. And our sanctions, you know, make them hurt. But at the end of the day, the best I could come up with, and this was after, I promise you all, a couple days of agonizing, I took away from that press conference the one thing I could hang on to was, well, it seems like we're less likely to go to war with Russia now than before the Hel- than we were before the Helsinki summit. And that's that's it. That's the best I could do. Yeah, and I don't know that many people fear a war with Russia because um the way, you know, Donald Trump's relationship is, it may be that we're asleep at the wheel and then other countries like Crimea, Ukraine, possibly even further into Europe, um, could be um annexed or aggressed. Uh, that's, I guess, what I would worry about more than some type of reopening of the old Cold War that we all remember from when we were younger, before Mikhail Gorbachev, for Boris Yeltsin, which were two Russian leaders that I think across the political divide that we trusted more, uh, more so than Vladimir Putin. Well, I'm no... Uh, expert in in the real politic of global affairs and international relations, but I do know that uh, as recently as, well, in 2018, I do know that American troops were fighting Russian troops in Syria. And I, I, you know, that's kind of the flashpoint where you look to flashpoints, and I, I don't know exactly, I don't pretend to be an expert on what Russia's interests in that area are, um, but I do have a long-standing appreciation for the Russian desire to be taken seriously on the world stage as a world power. And the only way they do that, the only legitimate claim they have to being a world power is their nuclear arsenal and their ability to make war um, and, and their army. They don't have manufacturing facilities that equal China's. They don't have uh, 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 high-tech capacity that equals uh, Korea or South Korea or Japan or Taiwan. Um, they don't have the sheer economic force that America has. So, you know, as a, as a power player, they've only got their military, and we need to tread lightly. And this president is not one to tread lightly. <laughs> and that brings me to my next question. This is going to be my last forum pop question. I'm going to let Catherine and Tim uh, get into some politics. Um, one thing I've noticed is Donald Trump has opened up so many different uh, foreign policy avenues, we'll say, trying to use a word that's not positive or negative. You know, he's engaged North Korea, trade war with China trade um, implications with Europe, uh, with Canada, uh, the, wa- the wall between America and Mexico he wants to build, and then now you know, changing the dynamic of our relationship with Russia is one of the biggest problems that he's just 
started too many things for the diplomats to try to keep track of? <laughs> well, I will say that um, a consistent, focused message is never anything that President Trump is going to be accused of. Um, I think he is um, uh, he's running a, an administration uh, on on attention deficit disorder and hyperactivity, and he he he's famously inattentive to things that aren't interesting to him. Um, and I think that's starting to spread down to and, and imagine this: you know, you've worked your way up 22 years in the State Department. You are a creature of process and procedure. And you understand protocol, and you understand the way it works, and you have a, a timeline for career goals that is decades long. Trump is on to something the next day. So uh, there's no I, – I, I don't think the bureaucracy um, is going to thrive on chaos. That's their job is to eliminate chaos. And he's, a, he, he's admitted he likes chaos. It's let's see what happens and let's go. Um, I don't think it's the one political theory I have goes back to his base, to his base voters, uh, disaffected white men, mostly, uh, who for years have been, uh, I'll say vulnerable to, uh, they fall in prey to, it's easy to blame the other. And it doesn't always matter who that other is. It could be homosexuals. It could be transgenders. It could be Europeans. It could be Muslims. It could be Mexicans who are stealing our jobs. It could be anybody. As long as it wasn't, you know, white guys in their 60s who were working at the deer processing plant to make enough money for meth, that's, you know, it was, it was the yuppies. It was the intellectuals. And I think his foreign policy treats people as others. China's, you know, raking us over the coal with bad trade deals. The Iran deal was a bad deal. Um, you know, it's just preying on he, – he's exploiting the opening of the um, fears, subconscious fears yeah. of his base that everyone else is taking something away from us. Yes, and I think that um, has something to do with it, no doubt. Well, let me pass this over to Catherine, and I know we talked more about having you on for Georgia, but it just seemed to be good to get a, a perspective from the other side of the aisle on that. Catherine? Yeah, I know. Y'all Y'all just had to rake me over the coals for Trump. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. We don't blame you for what happened in Russia, I promise you. We don't think you have anything to do with it. <laughs> Excuse me. Thanks for being on tonight, Mike. We appreciate it. Um, I right, wanted I'm to with... ask you, what did you think about this um, uh, clarification <laughs> the president made day after? Was it the day after when he said, well, what I meant to say was wouldn't, not oh. would. Well, uh, I mean, I know without, Monday was the worst day of your Republican life. Was Tuesday the second? No, I've heard. I was a teacher once for behavior disordered and learning disabled children from the seventh to the twelfth grade level, and I had to teach them math. 
and algebra and trigonometry and geometry. And it was a struggle for me, but when they came in with their homework done, I heard more creative and better excuses than I heard from the President of the United States. That was about as lame as it got. And there's just well, no way around it. Well, I will say, though, that some of the tweets about it were hilarious. All the, like, <laughs> you know, um, just all the songs that people were – it was very, very funny. I, I, I – have not laughed that hard in quite some time, I must admit. But um, well, I, I got to say, uh, listen, that, that's that's a level above mocking him for his mannerisms or his hair color or anything, and he deserves every darn bit of it. I just promise you, that was a that was a hideous statement he made. Um, here's the thing. And, and let me just say, I know I'm talking to Democrats to varying degrees. He cannot, uh, President Trump cannot in his mind differentiate between Russia meddled in the election and he won it outright. So, and, and I don't know if this is even possible on y'all's side of the aisle, but if you began your argument with, look, President Trump, you were legitimately elected, fluky as it was, as against the odds as it might have been, you won, period. We do not question the legitimacy of your presidency. However, that doesn't mean that the Russians didn't try to tilt the scale in your direction, and we need to make sure that they don't mess around in midterms or county commission races or elections to coroner or dog catcher or president. So let's make sure that doesn't happen again. Okay. And well, that's maybe, actually the way I look at it. I mean, you, I, I, really, I, I agree with you. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm stunned and amazed that we have come to an agreement, but, <laughs> well, I, but I don't hear, and, and this and this is not aimed at you, but I don't hear the left beginning with and the collective left, right? The great group. I don't hear anybody saying, "Yeah, he's the president. I get that. I don't like it." But how do we secure our elections in the future? You know, I, it's as much on your party to nominate somebody who can win as it is on both of our parties to make sure that elections are free and fair in the United States. I mean, my goodness, we are the beacon. We are the the waypoint for free and fair elections. And if we start letting foreign powers manipulate, and not just manipulate voters, manipulate news media. Right, that's the scary part in my mind. I, I, I agree with you, you know. If the, the the remaining you know quarter of America who trust what they see on TV or read in the the legitimate mainstream respected newspapers, well, by golly, you know, let's not let those people go astray, and let's stop treating them with kid gloves and saying, well, you can write whatever you want because you're the Washington Free Beacon or you're the you're the uh, New York Post or whatever. People, there's a certain degree of confirmation bias. People go to read what they want to hear. Um, but this whole undermining of the conduits of information is very frightening to me. I, I speak as a former reporter. You know, I was not on the national beat, but I did cover my county commission and city council beats 
as fairly as I could. I hear you. And now I'm going to pass it to Tim. Okay. Good evening, Mike. How are you, sir? (laughs) I'm terrified of your next question, Tim. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. We're going to get into the state election process here. And I'm going to start with this. Whose endorsement is more important, Nathan Deals or Donald Trump's? To thinking Georgia voters, Nathan Deal. To reactionary, mm-hmm. reactionary beyond the pale, don't know what's going on, folk. Donald Trump. Well, that being said, was the endorsement of uh, Mr. Kemp by Donald Trump a game changer? Well, I hope not. Well, let me let me back up and say this. If you wanted to see the definition of momentum, you saw it in Brian Kemp's campaign for governor in this runoff. He mm-hmm. he captured everybody's attention and he built mm-hmm. on it and he built on it and there were, you know, he 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 has bobbed and weaved his way. Now I've watched Brian Kemp for a while. I remember how he got to be appointed Secretary of State, and it was not a pretty process. Um, And I watched him kick off almost by rote, like he had a list of the House, the Senate, the, the industries he regulated. He screwed up the website. He leaked voter data twice. He's refused an investigation into the uh, campaigns and election systems people who ran the uh, statewide voter database up at Kennesaw State. He's just, I, I would have labeled him incompetent. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, this has been a hammer <laughs> and tongs uh, pr- a runoff for this uh, primary nomination. Everyone I know when I say everyone I know, I mean people who are sort of in the business and not um, hobbyists or enthusiasts from the side, professionals say, you know, I got to give my vote to Kegel. I got to give my vote to Kegel. I have a poll that will publish on georgiapaul.com tomorrow that shows Casey Kegel took a majority of the early votes. These were people who had cast their ballot already. They were polled as of last week. Early voting's now stopped. Cagle has a three- or four-point lead among early voters. And what I'm telling you on Tuesday, which is when the majority of Republicans cast their ballots, that is when you're probably going to see Kemp move ahead. Hmm. Um. Well, let's talk about Kegel for a moment. He entered the primary season as, I suppose, a prohibited favorite. And lo and behold, in the first round of voting, he gets like uh, 39.8% of the vote after it had been discussed that there was a possibility that he might avoid a runoff. What, what happened to Casey Kegel? Uh, there were a number of candidates in that race. Um, I think incumbency in Republican primaries 
is not always a plus because we're always mm-hmm. afraid of being labeled career politicians. Well, you know, it came down to, to I mean, look, look at uh, Hunter Hill. I'm not a career politician. Look at uh, Clay Tiffins. Mm-hmm. I'm not a career politician. Uh, and after this tape fiasco, I don't think Clay Tippins is going to be a career or anything. Um, but, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I, you know, he was put into that race to take votes away from Cagle. And Hunter Hill mm-hmm. uh, got into that race. I believe Hunter Hill is a principled guy. He really thought he had, had the right stuff and wanted to do it. I, I, I don't – he's got no history. He's, he's very popular among people who get to know him, uh, which is a good sign for someone who might want a political future and to, to stay involved. Um, I, I think there were too many people to win it uh, outright, and Cagle was – yes, he was well ahead, and he was the top vote-getter. But 60% mm-hmm. of the Republican voters voted against him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I – Everybody's afraid of Cagle's past. I'm afraid of Kemp's record. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. We are in total agreement there. We are in total agreement, you know, in total agreement has, on that one, buddy. Stacey Abrams so, has been asked and has answered all the stuff about her, her finances and her troubles with the IRS, and I get it, and they're, they're good, solid, believable answers. Um, mm-hmm. If she is to win, well, if she is if she is defeated, it will not be because of her record, and it will not be because of her past. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to jump right quick to a congressional question before I throw it back to David. Okay. If you were going to pick the most competitive congressional district race for the general election this year, and your choices were the 6th and the 7th district. Which would you choose to be the most competitive race in the state this year? In a general election? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, I would have to give the edge to the 7th, which covers Uh part of Gwinnett and part of Forsyth. Maybe all of four sides, but a good chunk. And uh-huh. uh, Rob Rob Woodall's home base is sort of near the Lawrenceville area, and that mm-hmm. whole tide has shifted from red to blue under his feet in that part of the district. In Forsyth mm-hmm. County, much more Republican leaning. Now, mm-hmm. the conventional thinking is. Forsyth will, you know, drag Woodall across the finish line against any Democrat in the general. Mm-hmm. Here's the reason I say it's here's the reason I say it's more competitive. The the two candidates for the runoff um, in the seventh district um, have been hitting each other harder than I've seen Democrats hit each other, and with techniques that I'm very familiar with about. Uh, racism and voter suppression and, you know, making mountains out of molehills. That's Republican primaries, bread and butter, Um, Mm -hmm. which tells me that both of those candidates on the Democratic side, I believe it's Karen Bordeaux and um, Kim is the fellow's last name. I can't remember his first name. Um, David Kim, I think. Yes. Um, Yes, 
they are seeing something in the polling or some kind of sense that says that Woodall is vulnerable. Now, in the 6th mm-hmm. District, I will, you know, it was four points after all the money in the world to elect Karen Handel, but now she's an incumbent. And she's been, take this, you know, for a little bit of a cheerleader, a person who knows Karen personally, has endorsed her in every way possible. And um, she flies coach when she has to go back and forth to Washington. She has been Mm -hmm. accessible. She has been threading the needle between common sense and some of the stuff that Donald, she, she supports the president when the president needs supporting and deserves it and has earned it. And she criticizes him when he deserves it and has earned it. And I think she's threaded that needle fairly well. And I think her, her main opponent in the general Lucy McBath will get outside money and will probably have that nomination, but she's a single issue candidate. And and there's more to the sixth district than gun control. So I, I would give I would say the seventh is the one. If I had to be worried, I'd be more worried as Rob Woodall than I would as Karen Handel. And you know what, Mike, I totally agree with your assessment of that, and I bet David's going to agree with it too as I throw it back to him. Right, David. I think you're right, and I think you're right about Forsyth is the more conservative of the two counties. Although I will say this, Forsyth County, I, I end up going to – I've went to classes for my graduate degrees, and then I've been in staff development. So a lot of people from Forsyth County, and these are not the same people at all that, um, you know, threw stones at Hosea Williams, you know, and, had, yeah. and Oprah Winfrey saw way back in the 80s. These are vastly different yeah, people. Yeah, People aren't familiar with Forsyth County. Um, well, I want to go back well, to the governor's race. Oh, go ahead. Okay. Well, I, you, let me say this about Forsyth County. I know a, a, a friend of mine is a science teacher up there, and they're noted for having some of the best uh, standardized test scores of any uh, county in the state. But there's a mm-hmm. funny little demographic correlative fact. I will not say it's causational because that would be racist. But I will say it's co-relative. They also have a conclave of the highest percentage of Koreans and South Asian Indians and Pakistanis and, and Chinese. And so they've got this sort of very uh, people of color concentrated thing attending South Forsyth High School. And hmm, I'm not going to make any causation. But when you say it's a good school because it's got good test scores, and then you look at the demographics of the people taking the test scores, you think, well, huh, maybe there's something to that. So, yeah, you're, but you're absolutely right. Those are not the goggle-eyed cousin marriers who uh, threw rocks at, at Jose <laughs> Williams back in the 80s. Mm. And aren't you glad I said yeah. marriers? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, definitely. Well, let me let me go back to the governor's race, and I want to go back to style and substance. And you know, okay. one of the early commercials Casey Cagle put out, it, it two of the big themes in it were, you know, I was with Nathan Deal when um, we had all these job creation with the movie industry, uh, bringing Porsche, bringing uh, I guess Mercedes Benz, other facilities to Georgia, 
And then um, I'm a big advocate for technical vocational education. Want to continue to expand that. Issues that pretty much any Georgian, Democrat or Republican, could get behind. Those are the two of the key ones. Then Brian Kemp, he waits much later to do his ads. And I do know Casey Cagle got onto some other issues, uh, almost in some ways seeming forced to. But Brian Kemp came out of the gate. I drive a pickup. I got dynamite to blow things up. I use a chainsaw. Um, there was one more thing. He had his oh, and his shotgun, and he was going to shoot the boyfriend, or he's going to threaten the boyfriend uh-huh. with the gun. All this style, no real substance, not this is what I'm going to do for Georgians. I'm going to blow up the traffic problems, or I'm going to, you know, whatever it may be. It was just all this catch phrase, imagery, whereas the other candidate, he actually talked about accomplishments that he was a part of. It really, maybe he couldn't claim them all just being lieutenant governor, but he could, he was on the team. Why did uh, seemingly Republican voters look like, or at least half of them, are getting um, interested in the style over the substance? Well, yeah. You pointed out an instance of a bigger question, and think back to the most memorable political ads or moments. I'll give you one, uh, LBJ's Daisy ad. That only ran once, and everybody knows what I'm mm-hmm. talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, Ronald Reagan's The Bear in the Woods. That didn't mm-hmm. explain Russia's so, uh, Soviet-U.S. policy. One bit. It just said there's a bear in the woods, and some of us know it. Um, what, what, uh, where's the beef? Remember, where's the beef? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mondale's nomination. Um, people go for what is easily remembered. Um, you know, I like is a whole lot easier to say and remember than. The economic incentives promoted by the state of Georgia brought the film industry here, and we have now employed with $8 billion in economic <laughs> empire. Are your eyes glazing over here? <laughs> here's, the, here's the bottom line. Some, most of the time, substance is boring. Substance is, why do we call these people who know this stuff wonks? He's a policy wonk. He's an economic development wonk. He's a he's a land use wonk. Well, because when we hear him, that's the sound of our heads hitting the desk. Wonk, we're asleep. <laughs> <laughs> but you show me a funny ad that breaks the rules that that's memorable. I'm going to blow up regulations and chainsaw through the blah blah blah. That doesn't do anything. There was a funny funny <laughs> ad for a guy running for Travis County, Texas commissioner. And he's muttering on about uh, the the air quality regulations. It turns out it wasn't air quality regulation; it was a violation. His wife's rolling her eyes. His kids are running away from him. And finally, the camera cuts to her and says, "Please send him back to the commission." That's all he does is public policy. Please vote for him and get him out of the house. And it had people cracking up. If you can make them laugh, or you can make them scared. They will remember you. If you can educate mm-hmm. them or broaden their mind, you're going to wind up second place. And and I don't yeah. think that's just Georgia Republicans. I don't think that's just 
I think that's voters in general. But a lot of times, some of these ads do have some st- substance with whatever catches your eye. Um, you know, Paul Wellstone did the ads where he'd walk around and da da da. But the whole time, he was telling you things about himself. Uh, Mark Pryor, I worked sure. on his campaign and had one where everybody called him cheap. Oh, he's so cheap, 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 cheap. <laughs> and the whole thing was he's going to be fiscally responsible. And so there sure. was an underpinning to it. I just don't see the underpinning other than the fear you were talking about earlier with older white voters, because he does talk about how in the back of his pickup truck, he's going to put illegal immigrants in the back, which I don't know exactly who he's going to get to stay in the back of his open bed pickup truck, because, you know, if they were (laughs) able to cross the border, odds are they can jump out the back. So, you know, you might want to get a leer cap on that sucker. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's, you know, you talk to any stand-up comic or you listen to them or you read their biographies, and they'll tell you when a joke fails, it fails bad. And you have to either go back and dig it out or reshape it or whatever. And in a campaign, remember, you've got a deadline. It's May 20th. It's July 24th. It's November the 6th. There's not a lot of time to retool. And the people who get interested in politics, the political science majors, the history buffs, they're a little bit nerdy themselves. It's very rare that you find anybody in politics who has a true sense of humor who can deliver. Um, on our side, we've got a guy who produces TV commercials uh, named Fred Davis, Hollywood Fred. And he is absolutely spot on when he's on and just a complete hot mess when he is off. He did – he did Karen Handel's intro ad when she ran for governor, and it was amazing. And he did Carly Fiorina's ad when she wanted to run for California Senate with the demon sheep, and it was a disaster. So there's no – I want to say there's no accounting for taste, but really it's, it's a sense of humor. You know, a funny joke doesn't need to be explained, and an unfunny joke – can't ever be explained. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I, I want to ask about more, one more race. And I know we've kept John a while, but um, if Catherine and Tim no, have another ahead. race I missed, we can get in there quick. Um, the lieutenant governor's race, ton of ads on that thing and really has turned nasty. And it was very close. Um, really, it wasn't even just two candidates. But um, we have, I guess, Jeff Duncan and um, David – um, Schaefer still Schaefer. left. David Schaefer, I guess, got close to the 50. Um, how does that race shaping up? David Schaefer's been around long enough and made many, many more friends than enemies and proven himself to be both, and, and this is going to sound weird, but both a wily operative and a loyal friend to many people over the years. You, you will find people who say, well, he did me wrong on this issue, but I can understand it. Well, I, I didn't get what I wanted when it came time to do X, Y, or Z. It's always one specific thing. But the general consensus about David Schaefer is that he is methodical, he knows how to pull the levers of government, and he knows what he's doing, and he's been there. Now, all of these guys have an ego, and David is no exception, but – to accuse him wildly of, I mean, Jeff Duncan was, and if any of y'all go back this far, 
Jeff Duncan was approaching Mitch Scandalakis levels of stretching the truth in his accusations <laughs> and his his it, it's just off the charts. He was accused sexual harassment for political favors. He was accused and cleared of that by a lobbyist who's no longer a lobbyist. And, it, you know, the very charges smell worse than the accusation. Um, no politician is without completely uh, innocent of everything, but there is nothing on David Schaefer like the accusations that Jeff Duncan has leveled at him. And honestly, I believe those charges are backfiring, that negative campaign has backfired badly. I don't expect Duncan to clear 20%. Wow. That really mm. would be a, a beatdown. Wow. Um, Catherine, anything else that you want to touch on quickly that I missed? Or we missed? No, I think we've covered a lot. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. Well, Tim? I know, I know Tim has out. a question. I know Tim has a Go question. Go ahead, Tim. Yes, Tim always has another question, guys. <laughs> Uh, look, I, I did want to ask you about this. We know the history of, of uh, the governor's races in the state and how we went from the days of uh, the Democratic nomination was tantamount to victory to the days where the, the Republican nomination was tantamount to victory. I mean, we saw a 20-point race um, when Governor Purdue ran for re-election, and then four years later it was a 10-point race, and then four years later it was an eight-point race. Now a new Survey USA poll has the governor's race at, at two, although I think it's more like four or five. But are we seeing a trend back to battleground status in the opposite direction, do you think, Mike? I think we are going to trend in the opposite direction, and I do not think that that trend will come from necessary or exclusively people of color or um, women largely. I think the big question mark is how these people who are 21 to 30 are going to vote, 18 to 30, um, and here's mm-hmm. why. In the primary, I'm sorry, yeah, 60% of the Democrat primary voters were either infrequent voters, meaning they only show up for the occasional primary or a general election, or they were newly registered. And that is Stacey Abrams' uh, New Georgia project paying off Mm -hmm. with voter registration and now we're seeing activation. It's one thing to register mm-hmm. somebody. It's another thing to get them to show up at the polls. And mm-hmm. there were still more Republican votes cast in the primary than there were Democrat votes cast in the primary. But here is y'all's secret sauce. And I'm going to give this to you free, so that's probably what it's worth. Pray and hope for <laughs> Donald Trump to do something outrageous right about the time early voting starts, and you have more energy among Trump-hating voters on your side, and that translates to – I'm not accusing you of Trump derangement syndrome. I'm saying that's just motivation, and that translates to sort of a, yeah, me too, for younger voters, 30 years old to 18 years old. And 
That is going to be the difference in Georgia. Do those folks who show up between the ages of 18 and 30, are they going to pull a D ballot or an R ballot? Are they going to go straight down the ballot? Nobody knows. And anybody who predicts anything different is is guessing. And I appreciate that thoughtful response, sir. Thank you for it. Back to you, David. Well, Mike, um, we thank you for coming on, and I know we'll want to get you on after this runoff happens and everybody rests, and then the general develops. But before then, I know you're on a lot on election night, and you may be on social media. If people want to read you Tuesday or see you, how could they do that? I'll be on uh, WXIA Atlanta, Channel 11, on election night doing commentary with uh, LaDawn Blackett Jones, and uh, she is always a treat to be with, and, and we always have a good time. And we hope for nothing but surprises on election night, because what's worse than boring, right? <laughs> Definitely so. Right. <laughs> Thanks again, Mike. Hey, I appreciate Thank you, y'all. Sir. Take care now. Thanks, Bye. Mike. You too. All right, my cast singer, uh, if I watch some election night coverage, I'll try to check out Channel 11 because I know Mike has a real finger on the pulse of really the state, but definitely the Republican side. And other than Sid Chapman, and I want to say his name's Othello, uh, running Osa. for state school superintendent. Ma'am? What, his name Catherine? is Otha. His name is Otha. Otha. I don't know. I can't remember his last name. You're doing better than me then. And, 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 but definitely, you know, go go vote. It matters to a few of us, uh, at least as teachers, and probably more than that in the state. So that is one race on the Democratic side. But everything else is on the Republican side. They barely got anything decided on the regular <laughs> election day. But, guys, we had so much else to cover, but to, to really do it, and I know Tim is chomping at the bit because he had already kind of – uh, leaned in the direction in which the momentum's going, so we got to make some predictions. And let's start off with that governor's race. And Tim, you you want to double down on yours? Yeah, I'm going to say Kemp by six. I I I think what our guest just said bears a lot of weight, and I think Kemp's going to surge ahead of him on election day. So I'm going to say Kemp by six. Yeah, and I'll kind of echo that. I'll say Kent by plus five. I usually do it in five-point increments, um, if you remember in the past. So I'm right at six, so I'm saying over five. Um, He's got all the momentum. I think that's sad if any Republican's listening to me and wants my two cents worth, although that'll probably kill poor Casey Cagle. If those were my only two choices and they brought me their resumes and they did a job interview, from what I know now, I'd pick Casey Cagle every time. But once again, that's mm-hmm. probably the uh, the death wish for him. Um, Catherine, your thoughts on the governor's race prediction? <clears throat> I think it's going to be um, Kemp, but I think it's going to be a little tighter, two, three points. Mm. Yeah, and, and what Mike told us about votes already in was actually valuable information. Right. I had not heard that anywhere. And, you know, was it uh, one in the hand beats two in the bush? I mean, he – you know, he's actually got a lead among votes that already cast, so that's worth something. Um, but we've seen that evaporate before. Well, I guess let's go to that uh, lieutenant governor's race. Um, I certainly didn't have the insight that Mike did, 
Uh, Tim, we can keep letting you go first uh, if you want to. What do you think on that one? Well, I did have I did have Schaefer by 20 points. I was stunned, though, when he told me that he thought – when he said Duncan – when he told you that Duncan might not get over 20%. But I was thinking Schaefer by 20. Yeah. Uh, I'll say now that I have this good information, I'll go up to 25 uh, but once you get, you know, if you went over 20 points, you know, you you, you went about three touchdowns. That thing was a, a beat down mm-hmm. anyway. Catherine? Yeah, I'm going to go with you, both of you, Schaefer by 20 or more points. Yeah. Um, let's do one more Republican race, and then we'll try to jump into some Democratic races. Um, I guess, wouldn't y'all say that the, the biggest race left on the – Republican side, particularly given how Republicans want to do with voting rights, is going to be the Secretary of State's race. Um, I know David Bell Isle is in the race. Um, I walked outside, not in front of my computer. Tim, who's the other combatant in that race? Brad Raffensperger. Yeah. I remember that name now. Who was yeah, the leading so, vote um, getter on election night? Yes. Um, Catherine, you want to take this one first? You want Tim to go ahead again? I think Raffensperger, mainly because he has, uh, I think his na- he's got better name ID. Cause mm-hmm. he was, I don't know. I, I never heard of David Bellisle. Is that his name, David Bellisle? I'd never heard of yeah. him before. He has a mm-hmm. lot and of signs, Raffen- but you don't know anything else other than signs and his logo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and Raffensperger's been on TV a lot. Yeah. <clears throat> Yes, he has, and he's run some very good ads, and I think he's a 10-point-plus winner. Yeah, I definitely think he wins, you know, double-digit margin as well. Uh, Let's go into some Democratic races. Let's go ahead and look at that uh, um, uh, school superintendent's race. I think statewide that's going to be a super low turnout election, and the fact that Sid Chapman had been the president – may still be the current president of the GAE, the Georgia Educators Association, or Association of Educators, the largest teacher group, definitely the most politically active. Um, They do a pretty good job of sending mail out to teachers in particular. So you would have to think that that would push him over the finish line, kind of something he didn't win without a runoff. But I guess there was more than two candidates in that race, so made it a little tougher. Um, So I'm going to say Sid Chapman. I'll – Say in the high single digits, um, Tim. What do you think? Yeah, I sort of agree. We did. There were three candidates in the race, and uh, interestingly enough, the the third candidate that didn't make the runoff was originally from this area up here. Um, although he doesn't live here now, he's, he's in the metro area. But I agree with you, Sid Chapman, by eight to ten points. Yeah, yeah. and then Sid Chapman by five plus. <clears throat> yeah, another interesting fact there, by the way, uh, I, I saw something about his story. Um, he actually did not get a regular high school diploma. Went and got his GED, but I'm going to tell you how the story ends. He actually has a doctorate. Um, so, uh, you know, it's it's kind of an amazing story that someone that, didn't finish traditional high school, now has their doctorate. Um, you just don't see that every day. And I would think in a classroom, obviously very different than school superintendent, that would be a pretty powerful story 
to kids on the edge that are maybe thinking about quitting. And this guy was like, well, tried that, and I had to go back. Um, I mean, I don't know if that makes him a better school superintendent, but I definitely make it a compelling story to tell kids. Um, let's mm-hmm. go to those congressional races. We can start with the 7th District, which is to face Rob Woodall. Um, Tim, your thoughts on that one? Well, uh, we're, we're looking at the closest thing to a toss-up race on the ballot right yeah. there between Carolyn Bordeaux and David Kim. Um Flip a coin and say Bordeaux by a whisker. Yeah, um, Catherine, you want to jump in on this one, and then I'll back clean up. I'm gonna I'm gonna flip a coin and say David Kim by a whisker. Mm-hmm. And, and, and either one and of them could easily be right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I don't think we've had any polling, so I'm just gonna say David Kim got in this race early he's been in it a little longer um he seemed to have kind of a, a pretty well-developed strategy he didn't wander around so i'm gonna think he i'm gonna agree with Catherine. he wins it uh fairly close and turnout once again is gonna matter because I, I think those two districts are gonna have more turnout than the statewide as a whole on the democratic side but still not great numbers and let's go into that sixth district race to face uh karen handel uh Catherine, mm. what do you think there who is it? Lucy McBath, and who's the other one? And Kevin Abel. The gentleman, Kevin Abel. Oh, Kevin the, Abel. The, that was the gentleman from TV, or is that the business owner? Um, there were okay. Go ahead, Catherine. I'm not. Sure. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say it's a toss up. I I haven't really looked at that that closely. I'll say okay. McBath right. by by a whisker. I'm gonna say McBath by fairly comfortable margin and and i'm gonna agree with uh really both of y'all because you're both seven bath but i'm gonna say a little more comfortable than a point or two i think she's had more national attention which not not always should matter but um and hopefully (laughs) and i know what mike's saying she's known for her um support of gun control but hopefully she can expand it out to have some more issues because no matter what one issue you're for obviously you know, voters care about a range of issues, and hopefully she can um, knock that label, true or not. But uh, she's probably going to be the nominee and see what happens in the general after that. Well, um, Ben the Cuddly Vine, thanks again to Mike Hassinger. Yeah. Good night, Good night y'all. guys. Good night, everybody. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.